and our episode today will be speaking to Roy Banks, the CEO of Weave, a company that brings together a world-class phone system and a suite of communication tools so it's easy to automate more tasks, keep schedules full, get paid faster, collect more reviews, and much, much more. Roy has 20 years of experience in high-tech software development, e-commerce, internet marketing, and payment processing. He served in the Navy, is a highly respected CEO, and was recently honored as CEO of the Year for Utah Business. Last year, he had the honor of ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange when we've went public. Our conversation today focuses on how to create a people-first culture that honors both your customers and your employees. Roy also gives some great suggestions for a hybrid working environment. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zenger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th Percentile. I'm Brianna Corin, and joining me today are my co-hosts Joe Folkman and Roy Banks. So I've been actually recently following your social media challenge that you took where you posted every day on your LinkedIn. And I have to say that I found your posts both entertaining and enlightening, especially your electric scooter that you've named the Black Panther and you take around the offices of Weave. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We, we have a, a building here that's six floors, 180,000 square feet. So if I really want to get around in the most efficient way, I, I have to do it by scooter. That's fantastic. Now, what struck <laughs> me the most about your posts as I was reading through them was the consistent and relentless focus that you have on this people first culture. You talk about it all the time. It's not just in your words, but in your actions. Um, for example, you you talked about raising money for a team member whose immediate family is in southern Ukraine and was trying to escape. And I just thought that was such a beautiful a way of that, of showing that people first culture. Now, you came to Weave at the end of 2020, correct? That's correct. Now, is this culture, this people first culture, something that's always been a part of Weave? And what are you doing to instill, further instill this mindset and culture within your employees? Yeah, this people first culture really uh, predates my arrival to the company. The founder, Brandon Rodman, and the other leadership as a part of the establishment of Weave, they made that a really important building block in terms of establishing and building this company. I remember before I even came to Weave, my first impression of Weave was when I drove down I-15 here in Utah County. And as you came across the point of the mountain, there was a, a billboard that said people, not employees. It was those three words. And, and it just had Weave, the Weave company logo. And I always found that like, I, number one, when I saw that, I was so like impressed by it. I'm like, I get what that means because to be an employee, it almost denominates you down to some form of inventory utility. And it almost makes you feel like you're fungible. But when you refer to people as people, it humanizes what we do as people who work at companies. We're more than just an employee or a resource. We're actually part of the fabric of the business that makes us very successful. We have an obligation and a duty as a business to provide not only gainful employment, but also to serve our people with the needs that they have from benefits to professional growth development and, and just overall just uh, you know being feeling like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. 
something I noticed as well is this people first doesn't just apply to your employees, but you also talk about how we have to treat our customers as people first. You said, quote, the basis of a good business is treating everyone as a person. That means knowing who we serve, understanding their struggles, and empathizing with them. So how has this shift in focus of really treating your customers as people first, not customers, what, what has that been like for your the interactions with your teams and customers? Well, um, thank you for asking that. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this because it really is something that's near and dear to me. And it's, uh, so a few months ago, I walked into the, our building. Um, I stood in the foyer and I looked around and I said, you know what, you really can't tell who we serve or what we do. We, just look, we look like a high-tech business. And I said, you know what is absent here is any markings or any indicators that would suggest or imply what we do and who we serve. So um, I worked with our marketing team and we had a company kickoff meeting this, this uh, last month. And I don't know if you can see it, but I have a pair of scrubs behind me. We, <laughs> we, we serve um, the healthcare industry, um, particularly dental optometrists, dentists, optometrists, and veterinarians, specialty medical and um, audiologists. So it's very healthcare centric. And I decided that during our company presentation, we would, um, my entire executive team would don the, the, this clothing and these scrubs, and we would conduct our kickoff meeting in those scrubs. I believe that we need to cloak ourselves in the identity of our customers. That's not just by the clothes we wear, but it's also the way that we, we posterize our hallways with customer testimonials, images of our customers, real life customers, um, you know, artifacts that are all around our building that show the customers that we serve. And because you know what? The truth of the matter is, Weave is a very diverse equity and inclusion-based company. And I happen to be an African-American CEO, um, probably one of the very few in, in Utah. But I know that there are African-American dentists. I know that there are female dentists. I know that there are immigrant um, doctors and, um, and females and, um, you know, just everybody from every walk of life. And what I believe is really important is to look like, to uh, embrace and empathize with the people that we serve, because the more empathy that you have, the better products you produce, the better uh, you serve those customers because you feel their pain, you feel their joy, you share in their success. And so for me, it's not just what you paint on a wall, it's how you um, execute your day-to-day -day work. It's how you fulfill your job and your duty and your obligation to those customers. Roy, uh, one of the things I was interested in is when the pandemic started in our organization, we sent all the employees home. And <clears throat> it was interesting, after a couple of weeks, I talked to my partner, Jack, and I said, you know what? We don't need an office, <laughs> but yeah. I've, I've driven by your offices. You have big offices. And I, I just wondered, you know, the transition that you guys went through during the pandemic, bringing employees back. One of the surprises uh, I did in a, 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 a survey for one of our uh, customers, and we asked the question, do you want to come back to work five days a week in the office? And we had a whopping 7% that said they did. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. you have a different workforce. You have a younger workforce and, and things are different. Where are you kind of in that transition to, to remote work and back to the office? And hybrid. And, and what's yeah. happening with that right now with your organization? 
I think this is the new, the new normal for where we are as a society. So I think the pandemic really kind of battle tested and hardened this, this notion that we have technology that can uh, allow us to do amazing things remotely. For Weave, we did go to an entirely remote workforce. And there are some positions that just by the sheer nature, it's very hard to do that. But what I would tell you is that we have found a, and I think um, it's exactly what you said, it's about um, a hybrid environment. There's a natural hybrid environment that I think is going to be different for every company, right? And for Weave, we're finding that the hybrid environment will probably be the long-term solution here. So we're going to embrace this and we're going to use it as a way to treat people first, because we believe that um, if I can help, if I can allow somebody to work from home, offset some of their childcare expenses or other expenses or to tend to other family members, that's part of the whole process. It's the work-life balance, because you know what? I trust our people to do their jobs. And I believe that they're anxiously engaged in the work that we're doing. And because of that, I don't need to micromanage them. Now, are there people that are going to abuse it? Yeah, probably. But you know what? I'm not going to let a few bad apples spoil the bunch. I believe that um, it's here to stay. And I think it will continue to morph and it'll be a competitive advantage for those that embrace it and a disadvantage for those that are resistant to it. What do people miss with the remote work? I mean, we've embraced it so much. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, was, uh, I was on a call with the Philippines uh, a week ago. <clears throat> In the Philippines, they have hundreds and hundreds of call centers. Yeah. This was with the, the organization that was a, a kind of a, a industry organization for call centers. Uh, the average commute time in the Philippines is 90 minutes one way. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. So you spend three hours a day. Yeah. And <clears throat> surprise, surprise, their employees totally embraced it and wanted to continue it. But then they were scratching their heads and, they, you know, something's missing. There's something about being together. And I think about you riding your scooter around. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're a fun-loving, joyful person. You, you love to spread that. It's hard to ride your scooter on the, on the floor. On empty floors, yeah. <laughs> As you think about hybrid, what does that mean? Uh, look, there, there is no doubt that for, for my leadership style, having a close working, physical closing, close working relationship with people is ideal for me. I think that um, as a conduit and as a corporate leader, cheerleader for the business, I do think that there's a lot of benefit in that kind of kinetic energy and to be able to share that with people. I can tell you, my CFO, Alan Taylor, he used an interesting phrase that has really stuck with me. And he talked about how we're missing the social cement between all of us, because there is, there's this social connectedness that you get by bringing people together. I do not believe that working from home is optimal for companies. I believe that you need to have, you need to call the birdies home back to the nest once in a while. You know, like I used to be in the Navy and in the Navy, you know, you have this esprit de corps. There's something about being a vet. There's something about being um, with a bunch of sailors and just the camaraderie that you feel just by being together. I have always loved that and value that. You have to pay attention to very closely how you're building that social connectedness and the social cement that really binds companies together as a true team. Because it's just like any, any team sport. If you don't practice together, you don't play well together um, in the game. And that's what we're trying to do here. Well, you have a younger workforce. What's the challenges? I, I mean, 
you're youngish compared to me. <laughs> what, what's your view of this younger workforce and, and both their assets and the, are there any liabilities? Yeah. You know, if you'd have asked me that before I came out of retirement, I don't think I could have answered that question until I um, worked at Weave. So again, not that my age is important, but it is an interesting um, trans- it is It's an interesting time in my career. For the first time, I'm the elder statesman in my company. It's really weird because I always felt like I was among age peers. And at a young 55, I'm at the elder statesman, <laughs> end of the spectrum, which is really kind of strange, right? I felt the, the generational gap between myself and the millennials and even Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. And the thing I notice, everything is so like, bite size and frenetic. And that's what's the real difference and challenge for me. How do you captivate the interest of somebody whose interest levels are so, so small and so short? And how do you, how do you engage that? How do you keep them engaged in something that lasts longer than 30 seconds? And, and I'm not being facetious here. I'm being really serious because I think that they, they, they expect that their job and career growth will pace at that same rate, you know, like, okay, I don't have to put in five years somewhere. I can put in a year, go somewhere else, another year and so forth and so on and grow my career. They don't realize that time and seat and the experience and the wisdom that you gain is really how you create value. It's not the number of jobs and how many rungs on the ladder you're trying to climb. So that to me is the biggest difference is because, you know, they're, they're just jumpy. They're jumpy, they're very frenetic, and they have short attention spans. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. And so I think that that's, that's the challenge for someone at my age is to really connect with that and try to manage against it. Yeah. So um, at Zanger Folkman, some of the research that we've published um, is this need to start developing leaders sooner in their career. According to our global database, find that the average age that people start development for leaders is 46, which is pretty late. So you mentioned, quote, there's no traditional path to leadership and making change. Change makers come from the most unexpected places. You said yourself, like you don't have a master's degree. You were in the Navy. So what are you doing to create better leaders at a younger age and, and support them on these non-traditional paths to leadership? Wow, great question, because it's something that I'm very passionate about. So yeah, I don't have a master's degree. I have a bachelor's degree in business management. But let me tell you where I learned to be a leader. <clears throat> I learned to be a leader in the United States Navy at a very young age. I joined the Navy when I was 19. And um, I was uh, given responsibility at a very young age. I was given training along with that responsibility. I learned the, uh, the orders of discipline, um, process, and um, an organization. I went to military leadership school where I learned how to give an order, to take an order, and to give a lawful order and to obey a lawful order, right? And so I had that at a very young age. And that's really informed me. I, my dad was in the Air Force for my entire youth. And so I grew up in a military environment. My dad wasn't like a, uh, you know, a dictator, but you know, the, 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 the rules of the military really prevailed in our household. What I see now is I don't know that everybody's path is the same as mine. And quite in fact, I think, like I said, everybody's path is different. 
However, I do think the journey should start younger and here's how it should happen. Um, if someone would have asked me back when I was 17, 16 years old, hey, would you, what, you could be a CEO one day, I would have thought, nope, never even thought of that. I, no one even told me I could. Um, nobody even told me the possibilities that, that were limitless, even at my time, um, you know, were, I, I didn't know what I could be. I was never paired with a mentor. I was never approached or had the opportunity to engage with someone who could show me how to become a leader and how to manage even my career. That still prevails today. I talk to youth all the time and I'm using a lot of the platform that I have at Weave now to, uh, to mentor people that are far younger than me. Because imagine if we can get to the new generation of leaders at a younger age, if we could raise the next generation of leaders to start in their 20s. They have 30 to 40 years of being able to do amazing things for the industries and the business communities that they serve. And so for me, it's about how do we avail ourselves as leaders to these younger people? One of the things that we do is try to provide training. And inevitably, when it's a startup, they go, I'll give you an hour. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. If I, if I say... You know, hey, well, this this takes three hours. Can you do it in one? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Everybody's time is limited, right? Well, it, it it feels that way, and yet at the same time, your point that we don't, you know, it's like, what are we going to sacrifice here? Do we do we sacrifice and say, you know what, your training and development is just as important as hitting a number or, or, or some of the things that work. So let's, let's make that a priority. And, and, and I think that's a tough challenge and especially in a startup company. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, be preparing for this discussion with you wonderful people, you know, you have to think, what am I, what am I, what am I sacrificing? We we're all busy, but the way I looked at this opportunity is, um, I knew number one, just because of your backgrounds that you guys would ask some very in, insightful and uh, thought provoking questions, but you would also afford me an opportunity to hopefully um, touch and inspire those who are listening to um, whether they're people like me or they're people that need to be mentored by folks like me to reach out and let's, let's build those connections because until that's, you know, personified on, on platforms like this, we're going to continue to languish in this nebulous, you know, darkness of nobody's going to know each other. No one's going to be able to interrelate. Nobody's going to make those sacrifices. Nobody's going to make those introductions. And so that's, that's what I'm hoping we can do. But at the end of the day, you know, we want to reach beyond our grasp. We want to have a, a sphere of influence that is even bigger. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Thank you for what you said today. And thank you for, for giving me this opportunity. And thank you for the wonderful work you do. It's been a pleasure to talk yeah, with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, you too, Roy. Roy. The 90th Percentile on Unconventional Leadership Podcast was written and recorded by Brianna Corin and Joe Folkman with special guest Roy Banks. It was produced by Zanger Folkman and music by Pleasant Pictures. If you are interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack and Joe, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a review. We really like those reviews. 
All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in the episode details or on our podcast page on sangerpokemon.com.